With me today from the Canadian Musicians Coalition, Steve Sanus. Welcome, Hi. Steve. Thanks for having me on your show, Jim. Appreciate it. So last week on my podcast, we had Dana Frank. She's the head of the National Independent Venue Association in the United States. She talked about the COVID relief package that they had um, driven through Congress uh, in order to receive some relief for most of the independent venues in the United States. Uh, a conservative estimate is that as many as 90% of them may close. So luckily that, that bill has been pushed through and it looks like they're going to start receiving some funding. Here in Canada, we are looking to organizations, coalitions, associations like yourself to um, help build a groundswell of support and get the government's attention, to pay some attention to the, to the critical uh, issue that we're having in our business right now, which is that from a live perspective, nobody's working. And you guys have done a lot in that realm to sort of create awareness around it. You also had a petition running last week, correct? Correct. That's right. It closed uh, last Tuesday. And uh, we've we've gotten a, a couple of thousand signatures. One of the problems that we had was that we were not getting the support we needed from the mu music industry associations. Uh, SoCan only came on board uh, uh, Tuesday morning or sorry, Monday morning, uh, with a tweet about our petition. We had been writing letters to SOCAN and to uh, the CCMIA, which is the Canadian Council of Music Industry Associations, and all our associations uh, right across Canada to try and support this petition and bring our, our proposal on board with their proposals uh, to bring in supports, essential supports, to bring back our, our uh, music industry and rebuild our economy. Now, the good news is, is that we only needed 500 signatures in order to get our petition to the House of Commons. Our, uh, my local minister of par uh, member of parliament, uh, Mr. Ron McKinnon, reached out to us um, about three months ago, uh, four months ago, and offered to take our cause to the House of Commons. Uh, I had met with Mr. Ron McKinnon uh, three years ago uh, when... Um, this isn't a new problem. We've, we've had difficulty with our, our music economy for quite some time now. Ever since streaming came into the picture, uh, it's become much more difficult for, for creative artists and for musicians to earn a living wage because streaming has replaced uh, physical, uh, con uh, physical purchases. We no longer have uh, the ability to sell our music in a physical form, whether it's a downloaded MP3 for 99 cents or selling an album off the stage for 10 or $20. Uh, in order for us to make up that lost income, uh, a, a CD for uh, $20, we have to wait for an, uh, a consumer to stream that uh, album 4,000 times for, for us to make that $20. Or yeah, a 99 cent MP3 uh, more than 200 times for them to uh, to earn us that 99 cents. And of course, we have to wait for that. So I went to, to Mr. McKinnon. And I said, look, you know, this is unsustainable. I've just released an album. I can't see how I'm going to recoup my investment in this album. In my case, it was about $5,000 because I did it independently. But for most artists who hire a professional studio like The Warehouse, uh, it's going to cost somewhere in the neighborhood of $20,000 for them to, to record that album. Um, in the past, grants... So we need our own version of the Music Modernization Act. That's that right. We passed need, in, yeah, in the our, United our own, States. Yeah, exactly. We need, our, we need to do that. But that alone won't solve the issue, right? Um, 
even if we were get get streaming companies, uh, corporations to raise that half cent royalty rate on average, is half cent to two cents, it still wouldn't be enough to bring back uh, and rebuild our our industry the way it needs to be for it to be sustainable. Uh, the gap between physical sales and streaming uh, royalties is such a huge gap right now that there really isn't any viable way of repairing that. And to make matters worse, um, the, uh, the Copyright Reform uh, Board uh, in the United States won a court case in 2018. Uh, they took the streaming corporations to court and they, they lobbied for an increase of 44%. Well, they lobbied for an increase. They ended up getting a 44% increase to streaming royalty rates. What happened immediately after that was that Spotify, Amazon, Google, and Pandora took them took the CRB back to court, to appeals court, because they said a 44% increase was too much. Now, let's put that in perspective. 44% of half a cent is 22% of a penny increase. Even if that stood, that wouldn't be enough to sustain our music economy. Now, one of the things that our music industry associations have been working hard to do uh, to support us is getting emergency funding, which is generally a one-time emergency fund. You know, they might get, you know, like the uh, Canadian Live Music Association in, in June got $20 million from the federal government. That money was spent almost immediately. And, and I haven't heard much more come of that. Um, there was about $55 million in grants that came in phase one another $5 million for, for uh, creative artists and musicians in phase two. Well, $5 million, uh, SOCAN has 150,000 creative members. $5 million yeah. is about 30 bucks a, a musician. Gets it, spread pretty thin. It's pretty thin. So it's not mm -hmm. enough support. In addition to that. So, so let me, let me just yeah, stop sure. you for a second. I want to back yeah. up a little bit to the sure. advocacy because I think that's yeah. a really important point. You said you had trouble getting, so can on board the Canadian yep. Live Music uh, Association. Yep. What mechanism is there in place for your organization to do outreach, to build rapport with all live music associations so that we can have more of a, a collaborative approach on this? Or do you feel like for the most part that's happened? I mean, obviously not in terms of the, the petition necessarily, but um, do you find that the cooperation between these associations is relatively uh, functional. Well, it's when I speak to musicians. So, so my perspective, I, I've applied for grants on a couple of uh, just one occasion actually. So, uh, I generally fund things on my own because I, from my perspective, I'm a public school music teacher as well. So, I have, I have, I'm financially stable. I'm doing this altruistically for my students more than anything else because I, I want to see my students continue on and have the opportunities that I've had for the last 40 years. The problem that I'm hearing from musicians is that the associations aren't really listening to the members, right? Like the, there's not there's there's a disconnect, a little a little bit of a, a lot of disconnect in terms of what members really need in order to make ends meet and uh, what's being provided. What's being provided in general are grants, right? So there's creative grants, there's touring grants. Uh, there's only a few of them. The comp uh, my uh, my uh, PR director on the Canadian Musicians Coalition, uh, Sherelle Jardine, 
just applied for a grant uh, recently for Amplify BC. Uh, she was told 500 applicants for this one grant. She didn't get it. She's been the recipient of grants in the past, but 500 applicants for this one grant is just simply not going to make uh, uh, enough of an impact to bring back and rebuild our economy. So, so, so what do you think it needs to be? Does it just need to be more grants, easier access? Like if you were in charge of the program for at the federal level, what actions would you take? What changes would you make in order to um, make this more of a value proposition for musicians and working touring uh, artists who aren't able to access the level of funding that generally they'd like to? Yeah. So first of all, to, to really answer your previous question, <clears throat> all, we, all we had at our disposal was to write letters to all the executive directors and boards across Canada for these music associations. With the exception of one or two, we got no reply. We were dismissed outright. Even though we had the support of our member of parliament, we didn't get any, any reply. From from the other live music associations, associations. from the other associations, from the other associations. So can reply to us a couple of times. It took until last Monday before they agreed to actually send a tweet out. We asked for them to email every uh, SOCAN member, all 150,000 members, so they would have the opportunity to look at this petition and decide for themselves if they were on board with what we were asking. And now to answer the second part of your question, what we're asking for is not just grants. Grants by themselves no longer serve the purpose that they once did. A grant was to help you have the capital to go to the recording studio, pay for the recording time and the musicians and the promotion and the tour, right? To put out a product, which is the record, that you could recoup your investment from sales. People aren't buying music anymore. The streaming corporations have done an amazing marketing job of creating a mindset that music is now a free commodity. Um, music is really the equivalent of tap water now. Recorded music is like tap water. I pay a utility bill for my water. I now have access to clean water. I can turn it on whenever I want and as much as I want. I pay my utility bill for my internet access. I log on. I can stream music for free for as long as I want, unlimited. There's 60 to 70 million songs out there that I now have at my disposal. Some people erroneously compare streaming to radio. It's not. Satellite radio, like Sirius, you know, that's radio. I don't have any control of what song I'm going to hear next. That's the programmer's decision. But I can, I can stream that for free, just like I can turn on my radio. But streaming, streaming content on a playlist, that's like the ultimate record collection that I never had to buy. It has replaced my need to go and buy a CD or vinyl or, or, or a tape. Uh, it has gutted the income streams for creative artists and musicians. If I apply for a grant now, I have to put up, I used to have to put up before the pandemic, match the grant money. If I asked for $10,000, I had to come up with $10,000 in order to apply for that grant. Now they've reduced it to, I think, 30% or something like that. But still, that's capital that I don't have because I don't have any income from my live shows anymore. I can't tour. Right. right. Um, no so income from the live shows. Like as a result of, of the technological changes in music, obviously, 
uh, streaming has replaced even downloads. Yeah. And so your your point is this is a multi-varied equation, a yeah. multi-varied problem, and it needs to be solved in a number of ways. One of those ways is having parliament um, rally to develop Canada's own version of a Music Modernization Act, yeah. um, making uh, grant, grants and or financing more accessible to working and touring musicians. And then, um, and then am I missing anything there? You've also talked a little bit about the venues themselves, because I think you brought up a really important point earlier about how a lot of venues are not going to be able to afford artist guarantees when things get rolling again. That's yeah. one of my main concerns yeah. being in the booking business myself. So I'll give you the bullet form of our plan. Our, our proposal is this. We're asking the federal government to provide a, 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 a living wage of $30,000 for all professional musicians. This would only be available to professional musicians who have a history of earning their income from music. Uh, in and 30K a, a year approximately on a normal year? 30K, yeah, 30K is the uh, Stats Canada definition of a living wage across Canada. It varies from province to province, but it, uh, average $30,000 is what's considered a living wage. Minimum wage is what it is. So what we're asking is if a, a an artist, uh, professional artist or, cre or creative musician, uh, performing musician uh, submits their income tax and they fall short of $30,000, because they are a, a professional musician, there will be a top-up to bring them up to 30K to compensate them for the government's inability, despite best efforts, to protect the value of music in Canada, right? Uh, our, our so would this initiative be something that, that would continue on even after things get back to right. normal with COVID? Okay, so... So basically it would be like a, a baseline, almost like a UBI, Universal exactly. Basic Income. Right. Musicians, musicians, professional musicians, UBI. The second part of our proposal is that the government of Canada provide financial incentives to live venues to continue to put on live performances in their venues and pay the musicians at a scale wage so that musicians will now have the ability to go back and work. Back in the uh, 80s, I was able to work as a musician six nights a week for good pay. Uh, those venues are gone now. If the average musician, the average musician now during the pandemic is lucky to get one or two gigs, not that we're even supposed to be gigging because, you know, we can gig right now legally in BC. I can gig as an acoustic player with no microphone and that's it, right? Yeah. I can't put my band on the stage <laughs> according to the health orders. Um, people are out there doing it, but I won't be going out and performing anytime soon until that happens. But even prior to the pandemic, the average musician was getting one or two gigs a week if they were lucky if they were working really hard right i went through a period where i was playing a so as a solo acoustic and i was working an average of three nights a week but as a solo acoustic i was making a little more money with a band they were playing for the same money i was playing for as an acoustic solo and splitting it not enough money to, to make ends meet some some were playing for less than a hundred dollars a guy a night and they were only working one or two nights a week if they were lucky quite a few only one or two gigs a month so we need to re-incentivize the venues so that they can actually create work so that we won't need the top up, so that we can actually go out and create work. But more importantly, so that our public can have access to a great, thriving live music scene that has disappeared, uh, literally has disappeared from our, from our municipalities. 
The third part of it is more, more money for creative grants so we can go and record properly and, and create great music, much like in the, in the 70s and 80s where we had uh, amazing producers in the studio. Imagine Pink Floyd without Bob Ezrin, right? The wall would have never happened. Right? We don't have it. Imagine Bohemian Rhapsody without their produ production team. Imagine the Beatles without George Martin. Wouldn't that, would not have happened. We need to get back to that level of artistry and creativity, and that can only happen with the funding we're talking about. We also need more uh, grants for public music education so we can continue to develop kids uh, into great musicians to continue the, the rich culture that we've had. The Tragically Hip said it best. So you're obviously... You're a, you're a fighter for the rights of, of musicians and for yeah. artists in general. Yeah. And there needs to be people out there who take up that fight. Now, if you were on the other side of the aisle, what would you, let's just say you were in opposition to this, to this plan, starting with the, the UBI concept for musicians. Right. What counter, like what are the arguments against a program like that? Because I think it's important to anticipate the resistance you're going to come up against as you go through this process. So every time I come up with something that I'm really excited about, it's like, okay, how do I, how do I fortify this defensively so okay. that I actually have a chance at pushing it through? Because I'm sure there are people who would push back against this $30,000 a year for, for a, a, a touring musician, even though that seems very reasonable. Um, but it's good to get into that headspace so that you can really fortify your argument. So, so what would you say would be the downside starting with the UBI discussion? So we've had these conversations. Now, the, the first, the first downside of it is people will say everybody's hurting. Everybody should get UBI. And you know what? I agree with them. I think UBI should be something that comes in and it's good for our economy. It's good not to be leaving people behind. It reduces the crime rate. There's all sorts of great arguments that you can easily Google and read about. Uh, there's there's there, there's a very strong case for bringing in UBI right across the board. I can't advocate for every everybody. I'm only advocating for the musicians because that's what I am and that's what we're, we're doing. But in reality, my argument to the to, you know would be UBI should happen for everybody um, uh, that, that's struggling who can't who can't make ends meet. Um, now, from specifically a musician's point of view, Daniel Eck, the, the, the CEO uh, and, uh, and uh, co-owner of Spotify, came out earlier this year and made a, 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 a stinging statement from a, a guy who's making uh, uh, millions of dollars off the backs of musicians as he's only paying them half a cent and the company is worth $67 billion today. Um, and they, they just keep going up because music is so essential. He, he made the statement that musicians just need to work harder. If they want to make a living, they need to work harder. They need to write more songs and release more songs and promote themselves better, right? But the reality is, as I pointed out earlier, half a cent of streaming uh, per, per listen is not going to earn anyone a living wage when you have to earn 6 million streams uh, if you own 100% of that song. If I co-write, then it's half of that. If I have a record label, I only get 12% of that half cent. So... It's an unsustainable model. So when, I, when the, the opposition comes to me and says, hey, that's a ridiculous idea, can't afford it, my response to them is musicians are providing an essential service to the, to the, to the society of Canada. It's a proven fact scientifically that everybody needs music, and yet our product 
has been devalued to that of tap water. The government now needs to compensate musicians for this horrendous exploitation of its artists. This isn't the case of just, my business model is failing. This is a case of systemic exploitation of musicians. It's almost a human rights issue that we're bringing. Yeah, because there's still money coming in. And listen, I don't, I don't disagree. I think, uh, I think one of the biggest oversights culturally that we've had in the last decade is that most of us, <clears throat> through our terms and conditions that we never read and just sign off on, whether it's with Apple or Facebook or anybody yep. else, we've signed away our data rights. You have. And, and in some ways, data rights uh, for this population is like oceanfront property. And we've just given it away now for the last decade yeah. plus. And, you know, we, we're engaging in sort of all these cultural and societal battles, but not enough people are talking about the fact that these companies are selling data, selling time against your attention. And they're compensating the individual who actually uh, is the product for the marketplace zero. It's just it's insane to me. So yes. to 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 use that and to parlay into what you're saying about Spotify, I don't disagree. I mean, I it's think that Spotify, it's all the stream platforms. Yeah, know. it's all the stream platforms for sure. Uh, what they've done is they've they've identified that the marketplace still has a demand, so they have ground down what they pay musicians to almost nothing. Yeah. And then continue to charge a relatively decent subscriber fee, and they're making all the profits in the middle. And and what you're saying is that needs to be offset by them sharing a more equitable piece of the pot. Well, here's the thing: at the core of all <laughs> the entire music industry, the found very foundation of the music industry is the song, the song that the artist creates. Everyone, it, most people, are making a buck off the song except the artist who created it, right? So what, what Daniel Ek and, and, and all the other streaming corporation, um, you know, whether it's Jeff Bezos or whoever, uh, uh, whatever platform you're looking at, their marketing strategy has been that music is a free commodity. We're creating a free music experience for the world, right? And by, by creating that mindset, they've exponentially devalued the worth of music. People now expect their music for free. When the streaming corporations and their their subscription rates are really low too. That's the whole thing. I mean, I can listen to Spotify for free if I want to listen to the commercials. They're not making the money from the subscription fees as much as they're making the money from the advertising. That's you know they're making the big bucks from advertising. <clears throat> right, but they could share that as well. We don't get a share of any of that, <clears throat> and we're just getting right. anywhere from a tenth of a cent to 72% of a cent uh, in, in streaming royalties per listen. It's unsustainable and it's exploitation. So the bottom line is, is that the genie's out of the bottle now. There, there weren't, the governments were not quick enough to put in place uh, regulatory uh, provisions to protect artists from this exploitation. The music now is devalued. It's never coming back. We're saying to the government, music now has to become a social patronage. It has to, we have to accept that we all listen to music. Everybody needs music. We can't imagine our lives without music. And it's not just on my playlist. It's when I watch TV. It's when, I, when I'm in the grocery store shopping. It's everywhere. We can't avoid listening to music. 
So, so we all use it. Most of us are not paying fair value for it, right? So we now need to accept the fact that we all need to contribute to providing a living wage for artists because we're using the product, but we're not paying for it. It would be the equivalent of me walking into Starbucks, ordering a, 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 an expensive coffee of five bucks and saying, oh, it's just water. I'm walking out and not paying for it. I can't do that. That's against the law. And businesses are struggling. Yes, everybody's struggling, but everybody's business, most businesses still have retained the value of their product, right? I can't call a plumber to my house and say to them, uh, that's great. So every time I flush the toilet, I'll give you a half a cent. And you can make your $300 on, uh, on the royalties for me turning on the tap or flushing the toilet. It doesn't work that way. I have to pay right. the guy up front just for knocking on my door. Right. Do so, you know how many uh, full-time working musicians there are in Canada and, and what this program would cost per annum? Do you have any estimates on that front? So um, what we, uh, <clears throat> so SoCan uh, claims that they have 150,000 150, uh, artists, creative artists registered with their, with their association. That's songwriters. So, you know, most of those songwriters are musicians. The CCMIS, CCMIA says they only have about 10,000 members, which makes you wonder why there aren't more members, because those are paid memberships, right? Um, so I would, I would hazard a guess somewhere in the neighborhood of 150,000 to maybe 200,000 musicians across Canada. When we were doing the math uh, in, in, in the early stages, we, we figured this would probably run in the neighborhood, we would probably need about, well, let's put it this way. The UK created an emergency package of a hundred of 1.5 billion pounds to bail out their music sector. Right. Uh, We figure it's going to cost somewhere in the neighborhood of, of, of a couple billion uh, a year to, to fund this properly. Uh, But that's, that's a guesstimate. I would, I would, I would bow down to, you know, our government who has a better grasp of what those finances would be. Again, yeah, that, you'd be looking that, about 4.5 billion a year, just by the quick math, $30,000 yeah, a year yeah. times 150,000 working musicians. That's 4. a point five. Everybody needs that top up though. Right. And that's right. not the case. <clears throat> um, how, how could that program get exploited though, too? Cause I think that, that, I mean, listen, I'm an advocate of social programs. Yeah. I love living in Canada. Um, I think that that by and large, we do a pretty good job of of supporting the arts, but we could be better. Um, But the concern always is just like with any program where where you're essentially giving something away or topping something up. Are there going to be elements of exploitation within that that need to be rooted out? And and I would imagine there would be. We've had those conversations There's, uh, right from the get-go. We had uh, professional musicians coming to us and saying, hey, that's not cool. The amateur musician who just went and bought a guitar at Long McQuaid now is going to say, I'm a musician and I apply, right? Well, what we're asking is for this, uh, we're putting in the hands, we're, our, our suggestion is that the, the Canadian Revenue Agency is the one who will be the gatekeepers of this. Um, what we're asking is that they, uh, um, they expect uh, – evidence of a history of professional uh, ongoing significant professional music activity um, and that's that's a fairly easy thing to to check on you know like uh, for example someone could 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 look at my track record they could see that I have awards they could see that I have years 
of uh, performance experience. They can see that I've released, you know, five albums um, and that, you know, they've gotten the claim. There's no doubt that even though I'm a, I'm a music teacher, right, uh, that I'm also a professional musician. The catch here is that I wouldn't qualify for any of this because I earn a really good salary as a, as a, as a music teacher. The only ones who would qualify for this top up are the ones who are struggling and not right. the entire $30,000. If they're working a, a, a day job, you know, that factors into their income. This is not just money that they're making from music. It's their total income. I so see what you're saying. If they're a full-time musician, right? And, and yeah. they're short, then they're going to get a top up. If they're, if they're a part-time musician, but they're a professional musician like myself, but their day job is a, is a minimum wage paying job and they're still not making 30, 30K, they would get a top up of whatever that would take them to get to 30K. So we're not talking about every musician getting $30,000 handed to them. We're, ask, we're asking for a top up so that they can earn a living wage. But the second part of it, of our ask, is that the government invests in creating work for musicians so that we don't need the top up. All musicians would rather be working than getting a handout. We all want so, to. Work. So that would mean helping uh, top Not up home. budgets for venues to exactly. put on live events. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Right. Yeah, and listen, I agree. I think that uh, I think that in in a perfect world, it'd be great if we could facilitate enough incentivization to let the market sort of figure this out. Yeah. Um, as opposed to. Uh, and not that it's a bad idea to come up with a UBI situation at all. Um, I just think it's it would be it'd be better for everybody involved if there was revenue generation uh, for those musicians doing what they love. Yeah, exactly. And that's why we put that as our second part of our ask is what we really want is for our music scene to come back. What we really want is to be able to go out and work five or six days a week like we used to be and earn a reasonable wage, not play for the door, not play for tips, not not play for exposure. Right. But to actually earn a proper fair wage. Right. Which really should be two or three hundred dollars a musician per night. You know, which was what we were earning, um, you know, at, when I was playing the Yale regularly. That was the standard. That was the standard wage. You know, they charged at the door, but we weren't dependent on the door. Our our worth was measured on how good a band we were and whether we could keep their, their patrons in their seats and keep them drinking and having a good time, right? Now it's like, well, you're playing for the door, and if you didn't bring anybody in, well, you don't get paid. And it doesn't factor in if the venue has crappy food or or whatever, you know, like it's totally up to us or a crappy stage. You know, it's totally up, put on the shoulders of the musician. That's not fair. It needs to be a shared risk. Uh, but what we're also asking is for the government to make that risk a little bit more sustainable for the venues so that they can get subsidies to bring back the, the venues. Here's the flip side of it, Jim. If there are no supports, like the pandemic was the death nail in the coffin for, for, for the music industry. and no Yeah, one, a lot of people were just scraping by prior to the pandemic. This was the tipping point. This killed it. There's no return from this. Um, as you said, 90% of venues are predicted to go out of business. Without the venues, the artists cannot develop their acts and they can't earn the income they now need uh, to, to replace the lack of income from the recordings. Once upon a time, we toured to promote the album so that the album would sell so that we could earn a living. 
now it's the flip side. Now the album is the promotion because we can't sell the album. And it's the promotion to bring people into the venues so they can come see us so that we can get ticket sales and sell merch like T-shirts and stuff like that to earn a living wage. And that's been the trend, to be fair, for the last 15 years. Where it's been like the, the, the music is essentially a calling card to engage the consumer to buy merchandise or buy a ticket to the show. Um, that's essentially how I grew up in the music business. That's the way it was. It was like, you can't look at your music necessarily as a revenue generator out of the gate in the short term, in the long term, it will be. Um, but I, I see the validity of your argument in that if the streaming services continue to post these massive profits while they continue to underpay musicians, it will hollow out the creative incentivization mechanism. That's right. Um, that that gets writers and musicians and producers in the studio to create, right? right. I mean, the, the top tier, the top 1%, they're always going to do what they do uh, in terms of artists, musicians, yeah. and producers. But it's that, it's that bottom um, chunk of our industry, which, by the way, eventually many of those people make their way to the top That's over right. a decade or so. It's those people who are going to quit five years in because they just can't, they can't make a go of it. You hit the nail on the head. So when the Tragically Hip was was helping the live venue, support live venues um, uh, initiative uh, from the Canadian Live Music Association, they went on record and said, if it wasn't for the small clubs and pubs that we played for years, we would have never been able to afford to develop our act into the act that we now cherish. You know, like like from, from my point of view, I'm wearing my Tragically Hip shirt today. Uh, the hip, are the epitome, they are sort of the, the poster band of Canadian bands. They struggled, they, they toured endlessly, they, uh, they played every beer-soaked, you know, uh, stage across Canada over and over and over again. But the, those, those beer-soaked stages existed for them to play. They got to develop their acts in front of audiences. And that has been the formula for bands forever and ever and ever, right? Now, they're gone. There's nowhere for us to develop our acts. My students were brilliant students. Uh, my rock school program was was recognized by the Juno Awards. I won a, a, a you know, Music House Teacher of the Year Award in 2015 for, for developing a program that is the music business model. All, most of our funding for our program came from kids going on the stage and putting on their shows and selling tickets to the show and going back and funding the program for instruments and, and, and built the program, right? I taught these kids how to be professional musicians, and many of them went on to become professional musicians. Some are touring the world, like Matt Perrin with Threat Signal and Angel Maker. Uh, some, some of them are, are, like Jack Thomas, are professional recording engineers and now working for Drumeo. Um, I've got all sorts of kids out there who have gone on to professional music careers. Some of them have gone on to be music teachers and, and created their own rock school programs like Atlanta Pierce and at King George uh, Secondary School in, in inner city Vancouver. But many of my students went on to have music careers either part-time or full-time because the work was there. They could go and perform, they could go and develop their acts, they could go and create music and sell it. Now they can't. My students right now are going, what's the next step, Mr. Sanus? How am, I, how am I going to continue my passion for music? This is why I started the Canadian Musicians Coalition. That was the spark that went 
man, I got to do something to find a solution for these kids because our next generation of musicians aren't going to happen. And if that doesn't happen, we're not going to have quality music for us to enjoy for generations to come. It's the end of the road. What we do have is a bunch of guys, a bunch of um, so-called producers who sit in their homes on their laptops and bang out sampled, sampled mixes and throw them out onto Spotify or whatever streaming platform there is. And now we have this white noise of amateurish kind of productions. And yes, there, some of these guys, like I produce some of my albums on the same way, but I had the benefit of 40 years music experience. A lot of these guys are just out of the basement and doing it. And some people like Billie Eilish have had great success doing that, but people forget that she had a professional mixer. She hired the professional team to get her stuff out there. She had a record company with deep pockets to make her a household name, right? Without that support, musicians are not going to see the light of day. We're going to lose a whole generation of musicians, right? This is why it's essential that the government of Canada steps in and props up our music industry and creates a, a viable living income for artists who are providing an essential service. And I can't stress that enough. We are providing an essential service. This is not something that you can choose not to have in your life, right? Because it's essential, we're saying the government needs to support it. Because we all use it, the government needs to support it. And because we mostly don't pay for it fairly, government needs to support it. And that's really the, the, the argument in a nutshell. Have you been able to get the ear of um, members of parliament and the government thus far in order to make your case? Have you actually gotten some initiatives in, implemented up till now? Like, where are you at in that process? Of things? Okay. So, so right now where we're at is our petition closed last week. Uh, the next step is, and we achieved the 500 signatures that are required in any municipality, any riding, to bring a, uh, a concern to the House of Commons. Uh, we, we got somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,000 signatures. Again, we probably got a lot more if we could have reached all the musicians, but we got blocked by, by social media and we didn't get the support we needed from the music associations. So we had to do it as a grassroots. What do you mean you got blocked by social media? Oh, social media. If, if I, like last night, I got blocked for hours from messengers. I was direct messaging people because they figured I was abusing my, my, my privilege to, to message people, right? Or if I post uh, or share things to, to too many groups, we get blocked. We get put in Facebook jail for two or three days. And so we, we play that constant game with social media because they want you to pay for the advertisements, right? So if you're just reaching out to, to people uh, in, a, in a massive way. Do you have a, a budget to market your coalition, you the awareness? Zero, zero budget. We had no budget at all, right? So okay. we, we approached uh, Music BC. They said you're a lobby group. We, the government doesn't give doesn't give uh, money to lobby groups and grants. You're on your own. <laughs> so so we decided. Can can, can people support you guys? Do you have a mechanism on your website whereby people can make donations or that sort of thing? No, we didn't. We didn't do that. We decided that our time frame was so short, and it anytime you do that, it it puts you in a situation of becoming a nonprofit organization, right? And with that comes a whole bunch of red tape. So we decided, you know what, we're just going to roll up our sleeves and we're going to try and roll, you know, reach as many people as possible. But to answer your question, uh, Ron McKinnon now is uh, in a position to table this petition to the House of Commons. Uh, it will be heard in the House of Commons, uh, as is his right to do so. 
And then we'll see what the government says to this proposal, right? Um, it might be embraced. Look, the bottom line, Jim, is the government's going to have to come up with some kind of solution to, to support the music sector. We think our, our proposal is the most comprehensive and most sustainable proposal on the table right now. We're not looking at short-term band-aid you know, solutions. We're looking at a systemic uh, reform that can re legitimately rebuild the music industry and our music economy in a way where musicians will eventually be able to actually earn a living income from having venues come back and having the ability to sell their product directly to the audience from the stage. Right now, I can't even go out and sell my music from the stage, right? There's no gigs, right? I, I can't do anything really to generate a sustainable living income. If the government puts this, this proposal in place, it does all the five things that are required for this music economy to be rebuilt. A, a living wage for musicians with a top up to $30,000 for professional musicians. It incentivizes live venues to bring back uh, live music into their, their, their establishments and pay musicians. Now how, how would that work? Or would, would live venues get a top up from the government if they ran into deficit on shows or like, tell me a little bit about how you see that rolling out. Like how exactly is the government going to help venues pay musicians more money? Uh, uh, our, our, our vision would be one of two, one of two mechanisms, either uh, in a subsidy or grant form uh, application where a, a, a venue operator could apply to uh, the government of Canada and say, I'm going to be putting live music in, in, in our venues. I agree to this scale, uh, pre-approved scale wage for the musicians, uh, and they would receive uh, the appropriate funds to uh, sustain them to be able to put uh, live music on their, on their stage on a weekly or monthly basis. Even an offsetting amount, you know, like even if it was like, hey, we're going to commit to... 15 live performance gigs this year uh, mm -hmm. and they can apply for $30,000, you know, yeah, something, like um, that. Yeah. something like that. Yeah. The other way, the other way, it, it, the other form it could take uh, is a larger tax tax deduction, you know, beyond right. what they're getting right now for it. Uh, it could come uh, in, in that form. That would be more difficult because that means the venue owner would have to wait till year end before they got that. They would have to put that investment up front. We would much rather see them get the money up front, which would really be an incentive for them to, to put live music into their uh, establishments, which would also prop up their establishment, bring more people into their venue. It's just a win-win all the way around. Right. Yeah, it, I worry a little bit about the, the trend you articulated in terms of people not being uh, accustomed to paying for music anymore. I worry about how in the long term that may affect hard ticket live events, right? If at some point music doesn't have the um, doesn't have the the value associated with it or the allure that it once had, um, will that eventually translate into hollowing out the live business? Yeah, it's, silver, it's hard to say. The silver lining of this pandemic has been that it's shone a huge spotlight on how essential music is to our society. People are crying all over the place that they, they miss their live music. People are listening to live music more than ever. For, for example, I, I looked up some statistics. The average person listens to four and a half hours of music a day. It, during the pandemic, it's gone up to approximately six hours a day. 
right? Because we need it so much. So people are really cognizant now. Um, something they used to take for granted, they now really appreciate. There's a new appreciation for both live music and recorded music. Uh, I think um, campaigns like ours, where we're now educating the public. Uh, I've had so many conversations, Jim, with people, even people who have been in the music business for a long time, you know, like performers who didn't understand what the royalty rates were, how unsustainable it was. Had never really done the math, right? Uh, when I tell people that it would take six million streams if the artist owns 100% of the song, which most don't, 600, six million streams in order to earn a minimum wage. That's a staggering statistic, right? That's just simple math. So uh, people are, I think part of the, part of, part of the mission here is to educate the public. Awareness. People, people genuinely want to support their artists. They think <laughs> because they've got their, their favorite artists on their playlist, they're supporting them. Right. They don't know that we're being exploited at half a cent. Well, they're, they're supporting in the only way they know how. Exactly. Right. Like they're doing yeah. the best. And, and exactly. part of the impetus for this uh, podcast is to let people know that we might need you to get involved a step further. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So well, it's great. That, yeah. It's well, great that you've established this advocacy group. And I think the key will be, can you uh, create more rapport with with other adv- advocacy groups? to make sure that you guys are aligned on initiatives like this. Because I think if you had SOCAN, Canadian Live Music Association, and other advocacy groups of that magnitude behind this plan, um, you'd get a lot more awareness and potentially a lot more of response. Yeah. So so what we've, and, and, you know, we appreciate the support that these associations have given musicians over the years. I mean, I've been a SOCAN member for probably 35, 40 years, right? Um, this is the first time I've reached out to them, you know, asking for this kind of uh, of support. I've been off and on a Music BC member for many years. I was nominated for West Canadian Music Award, which they sponsored, you know, for me to, to you know, uh, and, uh, um, you know, uh, I was in Edmonton representing Music BC, you know, for the blues category that year. Um They've been supportive when we went to Memphis to represent the International Blues Challenge, uh, represent British Columbia in the International Blues Challenge in 2011. Music BC was there supporting us, you know. So, you know, they've done some great work for us. But there is a disconnect right now in terms of what the supports need to be. Because we're a grassroots organization, uh, maybe they see us as cutting their grass. I don't know, right? But, you know, all the ideas need to be on the table. Um, because our, our member of parliament has actually legitimized what we're trying to do and has offered to bring it to the House of Commons, I think that gives us some credibility. Like, let's sit down and have a conversation. Don't ignore our emails. Let's get together and find a solution that incorporates all our ideas. Our ideas aren't exclusive of their ideas. They complement their ideas. They're, they're, they're looking for emergency funds, which absolutely we need right now. They're looking for more funds for grants. Absolutely, we still need that. That's part of our proposal as well. But we're saying it needs to go beyond grants because grants by themselves, as we talked about earlier, no longer generate the income to sustain a musician. We don't have a product that we can sell anymore, right? And without tours, grants don't even support that, which was an integral part of, of why we would apply for a grant. So the grants still need to be there. But it needs to be supplemented with this uh, UBI 
um, uh, model of topping up musicians' uh, income so that we can continue to to be able to create music and still be able to keep a roof over our heads and 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 put food on the table. And again, for me, there's nothing in this for me personally. This is coming purely from an altruistic point of view. I'm doing this because I want to create a better future for my for my students. I want to create a viable uh, uh, living wage for for my uh, my peers who are full time musicians. Um, and creatives, uh, what's what's happening right now in our society in terms of devaluation of music, which started way before the pandemic, but has been um, exponentially uh, um, uh, become a crisis now because we can't perform. Um, our public needs to recognize that that the musicians that they 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 love so much and they love their music and enjoy and need their music every day are not going to be able to continue to provide that essential service for them if the government doesn't step up in the way that we've described. Listen, I think uh, I think it's great that you're championing this fight. I think it is great that you have decided to take this up. And uh, I, I hope this podcast builds some awareness around what you're trying to do. And, and even just, even with the other associations whereby someone might be more interested in working cohesively with you in order to um, substantiate uh, some of these concepts that, and I'm not saying all four or five of these ideas might come to fruition, but even if one or two of them would, exactly. it would change or it would change musicians lives for the better. And uh, right now that's, that's such an important subject for all of us to be tackling because a lot of them are struggling. Yeah. And one way people can now support is the petitions closed, but uh, a way that, uh, public can can support is if they just simply Google my member of parliament or my MP uh, on who is that again? So if 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 the public right uh, just goes and Google's my member of parliament or my MP, you know, short for member of parliament, right, right, right. their own MP, get, okay, yeah, yeah, their own MP, yeah. right, yeah, um, they will find a a a a, a, a website that generates through their postal code. They can enter their postal code and it will give them the information, contact information for their local member of parliament. And they can write letters to their member of parliament in support of what we're trying to accomplish here in support of musicians in general. Um, it doesn't even have to be for our petition. It could just be- Do you have a template letter up on your website? Uh, I'm, uh, we're gonna do that. That's our next- that's Yeah, our, that's I would that. suggest that. If you had a template letter that people could literally copy, paste, yeah. put their own information in and send it along. I'll bet that would expedite the process because yeah. a lot of people don't know what to say yeah. in a letter. We've done that for some, some of it in the past, but we're going to generate a new one now that the petition is closed. Uh, and we're going to have that up there shortly. Uh, and the website is www.canadianmusiciancoalition.ca. You can find out all the details about the petition there. There's lots of hyperlinks that will give you a really great insight as to what the actual problem is takes you to all sorts of statistics and, and uh, um, uh, about the devaluation of music and what the challenge really is. So if you really care about music and you really want to become more informed about it, our website is an amazing resource uh, for finding that information out from, from you know, uh, um, uh, reliable citations, reliable sources. Um, and... Um, if you write a letter to your MP in support of this, when it does go to the House of Commons, there'll be that much more support for creating some kind of reform to uh, support musicians and creatives in a viable manner.
Well, we know that public pressure lights a fire under elected officials' asses, so it sure does. <laughs> do all we can. Thanks yeah. for coming on today again, Steve. I appreciate Thank you, Jim. it. I appreciate it uh, very much. Thank you.